It was Benjamin Franklin who made this phrase popular. In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Solomon said it like this, Ecclesiastes 7, verse 2, death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. So while death is our destiny, if the rapture doesn't come first, most Americans are in denial about death, leaving it to hospitals and funeral homes and, well, not for everyday conversation. One noted psychologist offers this insight, quote, people find death a difficult topic to discuss as it usually brings up a lot of feelings. Let me just pause there before I continue. Some of you, just how I started today, you're like, you're grieving. You're remembering someone close to you. This last week, my nephew died at the age of 32 two years ago. So our family was just filled with memories. For some of you, your grief is raw. And so let me continue with this quote. It brings up a lot of feelings like anxiety and fear and awkwardness and sadness. But then she says this, we tend to pretend as a culture that it's not going to happen. Now, in order to keep death at a safe distance, we, well, we often use euphemisms for it. A euphemism is a polite expression for an unpleasant reality. Or we could say it's a good way to talk about a bad thing. One of my favorites is this. This car isn't used, it's (laughs) pre-owned. I shared some euphemisms for death at the men's barbecue Wednesday night. By the way, over a hundred guys attended that event. We weren't able to be outside because of the heat. But here are some of the euphemisms that we use. We say things like, passed away, or passed over to the other side, or bought the farm, or kicked the bucket, or met an untimely demise. It's like we're, we're, we're just circling where we don't want to say the words, and sometimes we say the word departed. Oh, that's a biblical word. We'll get to that in a bit. Hebrews 9.27 says that clearly it is appointed for man to die once. And after that comes judgment. So we're wrapping up our series in 2 Timothy. We've been going through it verse by verse, and I'm grateful for how Jason Crosby reminded us to make sure we preach the word in season and out of season. And it is out of season in our culture right now, but we're going to keep preaching the word of God. We're going to do so with passion and urgency. And the Apostle Paul was filled with urgency. As we come to the closing verses of 2 Timothy 4, here's why. He knew he was about to die. He knew in a very short time, Nero was going to literally behead him. Where the apostle Paul was going to die as a martyr. And so he's in prison. He's in this dark kind of hole in the ground. And he's writing his last words ever recorded in Scripture. And he's writing those words to a young pastor named Timothy. 
I'm going to invite you to stand and let's give our attention to God's inerrant, inspired, authoritative word. Let's read together. If you're uh, comfortable to stand and you're able to stand, join me as we read uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who've loved his appearing. Now, let me pause there, and let's notice how the mood changes. Now, facing his own death, he becomes very personal. He remembers different individuals, some who had opposed him, some who had bailed, and others who he can't wait to see again. So let's keep reading verse 9. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus till Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. You can be seated. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have inspired this word. We get to hold in our hands and see with our eyes and hear with our ears. Holy Spirit, you're also now our teacher. And so we pray that you would bring to mind that which we need to know, perhaps learn for the first time, in other cases to be reminded, to be stirred up by way of reminder. And Lord, we know that you have a plan for these moments Would you use this time to encourage us to come alongside those who are grieving and hurting, uh, to challenge us, to rebuke us even, to correct us, to train us, ultimately to equip us. Lord, we give you this time. Lord, we do so and pray that we would continue to worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Once John Wesley was asked to explain why Christians are so courageous. His answer was very short, very sweet. Here's his answer. Our people die well. 
Well, I want to suggest in order to die well, we have to finish strong. So here's our main idea. Every follower of Christ must fight to finish well. And I see eight ways from the example of Paul that you and I today can finish well. Number one, live like you're dying. Join me in verse 6, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. So even though Paul knew or Paul was still alive, he said that he was already dying. He was certain that his time on earth was coming to an end. His martyrdom was so certain that he spoke of it as if it had already begun. Well, let's drill down on that phrase, poured out. That's sacrificial language. It referred to the complete giving of a drink offering, referred to first in Genesis 35, 14, when Jacob poured out a drink offering before the Lord as a sacrifice. More detail is given in the book of Exodus, Exodus 29, verse 40, and with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hin of beaten oil and a fourth of a hin of wine for a drink offering. So when the offering was done, wine was taken and it was poured out over the sacrifice. And it was the final act of the entire sacrificial ceremony. So this drink offering was a symbolic way of saying, I gladly give all of my life to the Lord. I'm pouring it all out for him. Paul came back to this theme often, Philippians 2.17, even if I'm about to be poured out as a drink offering. Now let's consider the word departure. Oh, this is so rich. This word is used in at least four different ways. First, it means an unloosing as when a ship pulls up anchor and sails away. Secondly, it was used in a military sense of taking down tents after a battle so soldiers could head home. It also, thirdly, referred to the taking off the chains of a prisoner so that he would now be free. And finally, it pictured a man who's carrying this staggering burden. And someone would cry out, my friend, lay your burden down. It's time to rest. Now, let me bring all four of those together. When a believer dies, the cable that binds us to this life, well, that cable is loosened and we set sail for the shores of heaven. Paul called our bodies an earthly tent, 2 Corinthians 5.1. So when we die, this tent, our body is taken down and we move into an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. When we arrive in heaven, the shackles of sin and suffering are gone and we'll never be imprisoned by them again. On top of all that, our burdens will be lifted because we'll finally Now, Paul did not view his impending execution as a tragic ending, but as a triumphant new beginning. Remember what Paul wrote, Philippians 1.21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is, fill it in, to die is 
gain. It's to my profit, Paul said, when I die. It's better for me. It will be gain. Listen, when Christians die, they're not really deceased. They've simply departed. Number two, give all you have while you're still alive. I see that in verse 7. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Those words, fought, finished, kept, they're all action words, and they all involve exertion. One pastor friend says it like this, if you're not dead, you're not done. Now notice, Paul lived a disciplined life. The word fought means to contend or wrestle for victory. A fight implies a struggle against opposition. So Paul's like this determined wrestler. He's been in the ring. He's fighting valiantly. He's done so for many years. He's faced trouble and persecution and afflictions and beatings and imprisonment. When Dietrich Bonhoeffer was asked why he took a public stand against Hitler, he remarked, if Jesus returns tomorrow then tomorrow I'll rest from my labor. But today, today I have work to do, and I must continue the struggle until it's finished. Notice, secondly, he led a directional life. To finish means Paul followed through. He accomplished what was ahead of him. Let me take us back to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20. Paul is leaving the Ephesian elders. He's departing, and he has some words for them. This is what he says, verse 24 of Acts 20. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only, here's his heart, his purpose, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So watch this. As Paul looked back on his life, he could say confidently that he had finished his race because he kept his eyes locked on the finish line. One pastor defines discipleship as a long obedience in the same direction. Thirdly, he lived a doctrinal life. Paul didn't compromise. He instead kept his faith with conviction. That word kept has the idea of guarding what's been entrusted to him. It's the idea of guarding doctrine. Hold on to what you believe. We've been learning that in our series. Doctrine matters. And Paul said something similar in 2 Timothy 1.14 by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. I'm told high up in the Alps is a monument, a plaque on that monument to honor a faithful guide who died while climbing a peak to rescue a tourist. Inscribed on that plaque are these words, he died climbing. I want to die that way. I want to die climbing. I don't want to just kind of give up and just coast and then die. I want to die climbing, and my guess is you do too. May that be said of each of us. And so when Paul looked at his attitude in his present situation, he's like, I am ready. 
When he, inse- when he assessed his past, he knew he had been faithful. Friends, every follower of Christ must fight to finish well. Number three, focus on future glory. We see Paul's focus on the future here in verse 8. Henceforth, there's laid up for me. So now he's looking to what's coming. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who've loved his appearing. That word henceforth can be translated as finally. So because of the finished work of Christ on the cross and his glorious resurrection and ascension, our faith in him as the final sacrifice for sin, we now will be given a crown of righteousness. Crowns were given to the winners at the Greek Olympic Games. Notice this crown of righteousness is not rewarded. It's not a reward for performance or penance. No, it's awarded freely, undeservedly, guaranteed gift from the righteous judge. So as believers, at our conversion, we not only have our sins forgiven, we have been declared righteous. And when when we die, we enter our final righteous state in heaven. Nero may have declared Paul guilty, but there will soon come this magnificent reversal of Nero's verdict when the righteous judge will award Paul the crown of righteousness. Would you observe that he loves the appearing of Christ? Another translation says, all who long for his appearing. Let me ask a question. It's personal. Do you long for his appearing? Do you ache for his appearing? Do you look forward to his return? Do you look forward to meeting him face to face or... Are you so focused on this place that you're not even thinking about the future in heaven? Number four, be proactive and don't procrastinate. Now, we can learn this lesson because Paul knew his death was sure and it was coming. Notice verse nine. He makes this urgent appeal to Timothy. Do your best to come to me soon. Oh, this is personal. You see, here's Paul. And he wants Timothy to come and be with him. He wanted companionship. And so he wanted Timothy to do all he could to come. That word soon means quickly, directly, speedily. He's saying something like this. Timothy, hurry up and get here. Now, we understand more about the urgency behind this. If you look down at verse 21, do your best to come before winter. Why? What was so key about that? Well, ships didn't travel in the winter, and so there was this window of opportunity. Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, I need you to come now. Do it now before the window closes. Friends, you and I must recognize that there are windows of opportunity all around us every day. And if we don't practice immediate obedience, we'll miss that window. We don't make that phone call that we're prompted to make. We don't make that visit. 
We don't give as God prompts us to give. We miss those opportunities, and that window's closed. So Paul is saying, do your best. Come now. Don't put off tomorrow what God wants you to do today. I love the book of Proverbs. It has some funny word pictures in it. Only one is not very funny. Well, it's kind of funny, but not real funny. You're like, well, what are you talking about? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Proverbs 19.24. The sluggard buries his hand in his dish. So it's like he's eating. He's like, I can't wait to get that. He puts his hand in it, (laughs) and he will not even bring it back to his mouth. He's so lazy that he doesn't even take the food to his mouth. He can't wait, but he's, he's a sluggard. He doesn't. He doesn't do it. One of the recurring refrains that I told our daughters when they were growing up, parents, you ever tell your teenage daughter something and they roll their eyes? <laughs> they would roll their eyes at me all the time when I would say this phrase. It's funny for me now, now that they're having kids, I hear them say the same phrase, and I want to say you're welcome, but I don't. (laughs) So here's the phrase I would say to them all the time. If you don't do it now, you'll never do it. That's quite helpful. If you don't do what God's prompting you to do right now, there's a high probability that you'll never do it because the window of opportunity will close. Friends, every follower of Christ must fight to finish well. Number five, pour into people even if they turn on you. Have you ever thought about how many people the Apostle Paul knew by name? The Apostle Paul loved people. In this chapter alone, I counted 16 people that he listed by name. If you look at the last three letters that Paul wrote, he named 34 people by name. Now, here's something mind-blowing. Paul had not been to Rome yet when he wrote the book of Romans. Do you know how many people he listed by name in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 16? 29 different people, and at that point, he had not been to Rome. How did he do that? Uh, Maybe he was Facebook friends with them. But no, there's something more going on. Paul cared about people. He cared enough to not only know their names, but to know a lot about them. And interestingly, Paul invested in people knowing that some would fail him, some would bail on him. So facing certain death, Paul thought about other people. Now to us, this is just the names, just a list of names, hard to pronounce names, but Paul and Timothy knew each of these individuals well. Would you know the first guy? Demas. Demas was a close companion of Paul. They were ministry partners. In Philemon 24, he's called a fellow worker. But notice what's said about him. For Demas, would you like this said about you if your name all of a sudden is in the Bible and everybody's reading your name about you? For Demas, in love with this present world, 
has deserted me and gone on to Thessalonica. Demas started strong, but he didn't finish well. Why? Because he fell in love with the present world. He was seduced by the present world. He left and went to Las Vegas. Well, actually, Thessalonica was like Las Vegas to us. He's just living for his own pleasures. And here's a guy who was sold out to Christ. Listen, if you love the world, you'll eventually leave your first love. Second guy who's mentioned is Crescens. He was a faithful co-laborer. All we know is he's serving in Galatia. Titus, well, Titus was a pastor in the island of Crete. There's a book in the Bible with his name. Paul wrote a letter to Titus. He was a faithful friend. And now he's fulfilling a different ministry assignment in Dalmatia, we would know as Yugoslavia. Luke, Luke is the human author of the Gospel of Luke. And we read that Luke alone is with me. In Colossians 4.14, we see Luke was a faithful companion. He was loved by Paul. He calls him the beloved physician, Mark. Well, Mark's worth thinking through a little bit. On the night before Jesus was crucified, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, Mark gives us an autobiographical comment. And a young man followed Jesus with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. So Peter ended up denying Jesus. Mark ditched him. Okay, fast forward. Years later, Paul and his cousin Barnabas take Mark on a short-term missions trip. When things get messy, Mark folds and he ends up going back home. This caused some conflict between Barnabas and Paul. Paul's like, I'm done with Mark. Barnabas is like, no, let's give him a second chance. And so he reached out to Mark and ministered with him. Now, at the end of Paul's life, would you know what he says about Mark? Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. So Mark fled and he folded, but because of God's faithfulness, he got back up and followed Christ. I find it interesting that Mark bailed, Peter failed, and yet both got back on mission. They were not disqualified for the rest of their lives. That's good news to some of us. It's actually good news to all of us. Because no matter what you've done, no matter how far away you've been, there is hope of God still using you as you return to him fully. Our past failures do not disqualify us from following Christ. Notice next, a guy named Tychicus, Paul said he sent him to Ephesus. Now, this is significant. He sent him to Ephesus. Why? Because he had just asked Timothy to come. Timothy was the pastor at Ephesus, so this would allow Timothy to come. Carpus, we don't know a lot about him, but we do know that he opened his home to Paul when he was in Troas, and he took care of his possessions. More about that in a bit. Oh, look at this next guy, though. Alexander, Paul warned Timothy about this guy. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. 
Beware, beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. You have noticed, haven't you, as going through 2 Timothy, Paul had no tolerance for false teachers or for those who were in league with Satan. Earlier in 1 Timothy 1.20, he wrote this, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Well, let's keep going. Prisca and Aquila, that name Prisca is short for Priscilla. This was a power couple who used their marriage for ministry. In Romans 16.3, Paul refers to them as fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Onesiphorus, 2 Timothy 1.16, Paul said about him, he often refreshed me. Erastus, in verse 20, remained at Corinth where he served as city Treasurer, We learn that in Romans 16. Trophimus, we don't know much about him, but according to verse 20, because he was ill, he was left at Miletus. Well, let me just pause to say, some teach that God wants everybody to be wealthy and healthy. This guy's a good example of someone who was not healed. I like what Charles Spurgeon writes, it is the will of God that some good men should be in ill health. Eubulus and Pudens, we don't know anything about these guys. Linus, tradition tells us he became the first bishop of Rome. Claudia, it makes me think of Claudia Callahan, a woman of faith. Some of Paul's friends were faithful. Others bailed on him. Some opposed him. Some said bad stuff about him. Others were simply unavailable because they were doing other things, and others were restored. Do you know there's a risk when we get involved in relationships? Some of you are like, yeah, and I don't want to take that risk anymore. C.S. Lewis says something so helpful. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrong and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, and airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. As I see it, we have a couple options. Option one, protect your heart, close it off, don't get involved with anybody, keep a distance with people. You protect your heart and it will become hardened. Option two, love others and end up being hurt. This past Monday was the funeral for Edgewood member Jim Jackson. Jim was led to the Lord many years ago by Paul Bogosian sitting down here in the front row. And together they served on our first impression team. Um, Jim's door was right over here. How many of you have been greeted by Jim? Paul, look at the hands around. They're just incredible. Jim greeted you as if you were the only person in the building. He would remember your name. You know why? He cared about people. Do you know Jim did not have family? 
And yet he had family right here. And he had family right here. We were his family. I went to the visitation. I was not able to go to the funeral, but I'm told it was packed out for a guy with no family. It was packed because he had family. And so what stands out about Jim? He lit up when he saw people. He looked at you right in the eyes. Jim loved people and it showed. Some Facebook comments when his obituary was posted, he was always so helpful, kind, and caring. Somebody said, I'm going to miss him as I come into the church. One woman said, he pointed out where my husband was when I came in after dropping off the grandkids. I loved his smiling face, someone else said, as he greeted everyone. He went out of his way to always make you feel welcome. Such a kind man. He always made our family feel welcome. One of my memories I'll never forget is Paul and Jim walking down the center aisle with their Bibles under their arm after they had finished their greeting responsibilities and sitting right up here in the front row where Paul's sitting right now. Bible open, leaning forward. This is a man who loved Jesus and he loved people. Jim has now experienced the ultimate greeting from God, and he is in the front row giving praise to the lamb who was slain. Yeah. Jim finished well, and he fought to finish well. Listen, every follower of Christ must fight to finish well. Number six lesson we can learn is to prioritize your possessions. So according to verse 13, not only did people matter to Paul when he knew he was nearing the end, he also was concerned about his possessions. Okay, let me qualify that. He was concerned about a few of his possessions. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. In those days, the arresting soldiers had the right, when they arrest somebody, to take their clothing for themselves. And that explains in part why when they took Jesus' clothes, remember they were gambling about who could get it, and should we divide it up? That's what's behind that. So People knew that, and so it's likely the Apostle Paul gave his few possessions to a guy named Carpus, who we read about earlier, for safekeeping. The cloak? Well, it's like a weighted blanket, a heavy blanket. There was a hole in the middle cut out for the head, and it was designed to go over the head and provide warmth. I don't know why I thought this. It kind of maybe looked like the Snuggie, (laughs) or actually more like a poncho. Would you notice next the books? Paul wanted the books. 
This is translated as rolls, scrolls, or volumes. These books could have been the various scrolls from the Hebrew Old Testament or the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, maybe even some of his own writings. According to Luke 4.17, this is what Jesus read from the scrolls, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled that scroll and found the place where it was written. He wanted one other thing, parchments. These were made from animal skins, and they were used for writing. Paul, knowing he's nearing the end, I wonder if he was planning to write more letters. Now, as I was reflecting on all of that and kind of observing our culture and even looking at my own life, ways that I've become soft with time, here's what I wrote down. There's been a loss of men reading books today and writing letters in our culture. Homes used to have a study area or a library and well, now we see the rise of man caves. I know that makes me uncomfortable too. I like watching sports, but I'm just making that observation. Paul was not in a man cave. He was in a martyr's cave. And because he knew he was about to die, everything else stripped away. And he's like, I want to be with my friends. And this is, these are the possessions I want. I want something to keep me warm. I want my body warm. And I need to warm my soul. I need to have the scriptures. Now, we see Paul's needs here. He was lonely, so he needed friends around him. His body was cold. He needed clothing. His spirit was thirsty, so he needed scripture. Number seven, rely on the Lord for his strength. I often hear widows and widowers express how alone they feel. Often when I talk to my dad, Dad, how you doing? Oh, it just is so lonely. I just feel alone. I miss your mom. Many of you can relate to that. Or maybe you're single and you see all these couples together and you just feel alone and you struggle with that. Or perhaps you're navigating some health struggles and health struggles have a way of isolating us. Even if others know about it, they don't know what we're feeling and thinking as we're processing all of that and as death even flies around some of our minds. Listen to how Paul described his situation. At my first defense, nobody came to stand by me, but all deserted me. He's by himself. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hey, remember, when you feel alone, you are not alone. Even though others didn't stand with him, would you observe Paul asked that it not be charged against them. He's like, everybody has bailed. Some have very good reasons for not being, but he's alone and he's quick to forgive them. I wonder where he learned that. Jesus from the cross, Luke 23, Father, forgive them 
for they know not what they do. And when Stephen was being martyred, the first Christian martyr, the apostle Paul was there before he was converted, giving consent to that. As Stephen is being martyred, as he looks up into heaven, he says these words, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Paul is about to be martyred, and he's like, don't charge this against them. The Lord was with Paul so he could proclaim the gospel to Gentiles in that court setting. He was rescued from the lion's mouth, which could be a reference to Nero or to Satan or to literal lions. The Lord rescued him and will bring him safely into the kingdom shortly. And for that, notice, Paul gives him glory forever and ever. He experienced what Corey Ten Boom knew to be true. You may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Number eight, share a blessing with everyone you come across. Check out Paul's last recorded words. Join me in verse 22. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. In that first, in the first phrase, the word your is singular, meaning he's focused on Timothy. But in the second phrase, the word you is plural, which means this letter is for everyone, including us. Grace was the key word in Paul's ministry. He opened and closed his letters with it. So here's an application. Whether you're talking to one person or to a group of people, work hard at giving a blessing. Share about the Lord's presence. Talk about the Lord's pleasure. The pastoral team experienced this many times when visiting Joanna Johnson, who departed for glory this past week. Her husband Lyle is seated here, and daughter Janelle, husband Bruce. When we would visit her in the hospital, we would pray for her. And then she would say these words, now let me pray for you. And she prayed for us so many different times. I saw her the day before she departed, and I read this passage to her. I said, you have fought the fight. You have stayed the course. You have kept the faith. When I got back to the office after she had been graduated to glory, I sat down and I wrote an email to let the rest of the team know. And I had been thinking about this message, and so here's what I wrote. About an hour ago, Joanna Johnson departed this life and sailed to the shores of heaven as her earthly tent was exchanged for an eternal dwelling. Pastor Dan was there when she graduated. In fact, she had just finished praying for Pastor Dan before finding herself joining the anthem of angels and believers who've gone before, praising her Lord around the throne. Every follower of Christ must fight to finish well. Joanna finished well. So did Jim. And so can you. 
if you fight for it. I'm told there's a tombstone in Indiana etched with these words, pause, stranger, when you pass me by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be, so prepare for death and follow me. An unknown passerby scratched this reply, to follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. (laughs) (laughs) Which way will you go? Do you know for sure? You can know for sure if God saves you by his grace for his glory as you call out in faith and ask him to do so. In John, or John chapter 11, Jesus said these words, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus personalizes it. He personalizes it to us today. Do you believe this? Well, here's some action steps. Number one, repent, believe, and receive Christ before it's too late because that window will close. Trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord right now. Number two, if you're a Christian, it's time to stop coasting. You see, lots of people flame out because they stop taking their faith seriously. Listen, you will not coast into Christ-likeness. Spiritual growth is intentional. It's not automatic. Fight the fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith. Number three, obey what God is calling you to do today. Is there someone God is prompting you to call? Is there a decision you need to make? Is there a practical step of obedience that God's calling you to take in your marriage? Is there someone who's sick whispering out, Please come before winter. Related to that, it's time for us to get to know people at a deeper level. Work at remembering names. Don't disconnect. Plow through those relational conflicts. Number five, find a support group to help you hang on when you're hurting. Celebrate Recovery meets in our Life Center every Friday night. We also have three care ministries, grief share and divorce care and Alzheimer's support group. You've heard about those. Now to equip us to finish strong spiritually, we're kicking off a new series in two weeks called Unshaken and Unashamed. And during that series, all of our growth groups are going to be studying the same material that's going to be presented in our sermons. And we're doing that so we all get synchronized together and we can focus on applying what we're learning together. Not only that, our children's ministry is going to be going through the same topics all the way up through young adults and all of our, or most all of our Sunday growth groups. We have some discussion guides with questions for all seven of the sermons. They're available over there. I invite you to pick those up. We also have invite cards if you want to invite people to the series. If you're not in a growth group, we have groups available out in the lobby today. Pastor Kyle will be out there. You could sign up for just attending for seven weeks during this series. So as we wrap up our series today called Standing Firm, I'm going to invite you to stand, and I want to give a combined benediction 
These words come right from our passage today, verse 22 and verse 18. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.